Welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. I'm Rob Anderson, City Manager of the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager for the City of Fairborn, and we are the hosts of the Government Ops Podcast. So you may ask yourself, what is the Government Ops Podcast? And really, it's trying to give everybody an overview of the different city departments, uh, what those departments do, what programs we offer, what services we have here. Uh, We're really excited to have folks understand and learn what we do as employees. I think there's a lot of questions that we get about our operations and what uh, what exactly we're doing at times. Uh, Some of those are positive questions, some are a little different, but uh, we want to really excited to share kind of not only the departments, but also the people that we have, uh, the wonderful folks that do everything on a daily basis. So if uh, you're ready for this. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, So let's get this episode. Hello, welcome to the Government Ops Podcast. My name is Rob Anderson. I'm the City Manager with the City of Fairborn. And I'm Megan Howard, Communications Manager. And today, our guest is Police Chief Terry Bennington. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is Episode 6. If you're following along in our Government Ops series, uh, we have several more coming up, and but we're trying to build on what we've done already. We felt it's a great time to bring in the police department to talk about their operations. So, Terry, I'm going to shoot you a softball question, the first one. Talk about the role of the police department in Fairborn. Well, obviously, the uh, our number one priority is the uh, safety and security of all the citizens and anybody comes through through the city. Um, but then we also are involved in any kind of community-oriented policing we can do. Um, obviously, traffic enforcement is another uh, big thing just to make sure everybody's safe on the roadways. Uh, and then also, we um, have three officers in the schools um, to get that relationship built with the uh, with the students, teachers, and then also uh, that air security aspect of that also. So, Chief, we've talked in the past, so I want to, and I think it's kind of an interesting point, that Fairborn, given our situation where we are in the region, uh, on the highway in between a couple of big cities, that presents some challenges. Can you talk about that a little bit? We do. Um, between 675, 70, we're also you know, obviously between Dayton and Springfield. So we got a lot of, get a lot of transient traffic that comes through, which uh, leads to us having to deal with some of the same problems that the major cities have, um, the drugs, that type of thing. Uh, we have uh, the citizens here um, in their neighborhoods, um, our safe neighborhoods, but then sometimes we get some people that come through that... Uh, um, are here for no good reason other than for crime, and, and we have to deal with them just as they do in the bigger cities. So while we have the benefit of being able to travel anywhere we need to go because of our uh, transportation system, it also is a negative because it allows anybody else to travel in the Fairborn as well. It is a pathway uh, back and forth between the big cities. That's correct. Interesting. Um, so what what would you say is our biggest issue in Fairborn currently? And I know that probably changes year to year. Uh, what are some of the things that you see most often here? As far as uh, crime goes, obviously drugs are the nexus for everything. Um, we have, just like every other community, we have a, a drug problem. Those drug problems lead to your thefts, um, robberies, burglaries, um, everything else. If we're like every other community. If you could solve that problem, you could probably cut your your crime rate in half or more. Sure. Um, any trends within that? Anything that you've seen? Uh, becoming less prevalent, more prevalent. We're, uh, let me maybe phrase that a different way. Um, outside of drugs, major crimes, uh, not really something that we deal a lot with here, right? Um, we're like everybody else. We have the occasional um, 
major crime, but we're lucky in the in the aspect that those are few and far between, uh, which is good. We've seen over the last few years our violent crimes have decreased, um, which is kind of against the national norm at this point. Sure. However, our property crimes have gone up, um, thefts, that kind of thing. Our biggest mover this last year was identity thefts, which uh, in the second quarter of 2020, we were probably at 21 total. This year, we were over 100. Um, I think that's more um, caused by the unemployment uh, benefits and people trying to, to scam that system. And then we end up uh, with the identity theft complaints. Having done a ride along with the department for a shift, they're busy. I mean, there's a it's not a, you know, sit around and do nothing kind of a shift. Talk about our call volume. Like what, how many calls do we typically see in any one year? Uh, last year in 2020, we had about 58,000 calls for service. Um, this year through July, we're already over 32,000 calls for service. So I feel very confident we'll be over 60,000 calls for service this year. Now, that also includes self-initiated activity by the officers, that type of thing. But it just shows to show you on the road that they are busy. You, you would like to have them have some unobligated time to be able to do the community relations type thing. Sure. Um, but right now, sometimes they don't have that on a day-to-day -day basis. You mentioned as part of the, the, the initial response are officers that we have in the schools, school resource officers. Talk about our partnership with the schools and how valuable those officers are to our to just the citizens of Fairborne. Right. We have uh, one officer in each of the, the schools here in Fairborne, and that's been a partnership that's probably started with D.A.R.E., and that's probably 20 years old. I don't have the exact date, but started with D.A.R.E., and then once the SRO programs um, started to take hold, um, the school board has been very uh, gracious. They actually help uh, offset some of their salaries um, through grants and that kind of thing, and we also have a grant to upset that, offset that. But uh, having one of those officers in the schools to get those, especially in the younger schools, to start those relationship with the kids, um, and then as they go on, they get to move on to a different SRO, and then as they get into the high school, there's one there also. So those relationships are important, but I also feel it's very important to have that security aspect there sure. um, just in case something will go wrong. We do have somebody on the scene that can respond immediately. Which is invaluable. Right? Yes. I mean, having that person with literally boots on the ground there. Correct. Uh, makes a lot of sense. The one I remember a chief uh, in my career telling me, you know, when, when we're parenting little kids, we have our own little kids, um, you know, we used to tell them as a threat, well, if you don't do this, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> right. And maybe you didn't do that. I know I maybe have done it. I'm not going to say I didn't. Uh, but that's probably sets a wrong example when we talk to little kids about their uh, interactions with police officers. It's, uh, we want them to be to embrace police officers. They're here to help. They're here to help you. Does the SRO program kind of overcome maybe a little bit of that or help reinforce that? It does to, to a certain extent. We still get those phone calls from uh, parents that will are having trouble having their kids listen to what they do or get up and go to school. So we do have to be the bad person when we get there, which it, it does kind of put you in that light that sure. now kids, well, everything goes wrong. Well, that cop's going to come get me in trouble. So, um, yeah, we do have that. But I do think the relationship that the SROs have, they do take time out of their day. If they know a kid's having trouble, they do some counseling, that type of thing. We also started a program now where if the officer's on the street, um, come in contact with a child that's having an issue or been uh, 
a witness to a domestic violence scene, that kind of thing. The SROs and uh, uh, the schools are now checking with that child to make sure they're okay, if they can offer any resources to that child. So we're branching out into different things in the schools to make the uh, SROs a little bit more uh, officer friendly, so to speak. I won't name the officer by name, but let's be honest, he's kind of a big kid himself, right? <laughs> that he is. So there's, there's a good relationship yes. there, and I think he has probably four or five of his own kids that help, right? <laughs> to be a D.A.R.E. officer, you got to be able to be a little goofy, and uh, he definitely fits that mold. Uh, there's one trend that we've talked about that is starting to see more and more, and I see it in the uh, numbers that you send up every quarter. We're starting to see a lot more issues with people that are having mental issues. Talk a little bit about how much that has grown and what we're doing to try to overcome some of those things. Uh, that has definitely increased every year, probably over the last two or three years, um, dealing with emotionally disturbed um, persons. Um, it's tough for the officers because it, you're almost asking them to be a little bit of something to everybody, sure. um, where it's just not that law enforcement background. Now they're, they're counselors, they're social workers, they're that type right. of thing. So um, the deconfliction and the, uh, all the officers now go to crisis intervention training uh, within the first two years that they're on is a 40-hour class so they learn to deal with some of those folks that are having maybe an emotional breakdown at that point um, we're able to get them to the hospital uh, most times it's voluntary sometimes we have to uh, sure order them to the hospital and take them to the hospital but getting those folks in touch with the resources that they need has become a very important thing but it's, and it's been it's more of a daily occurrence now than it used to be police officers are really uh, fire as well we're going to get to the fire issue next but really the term first responder is appropriate because they are typically the first contact that somebody in crisis has with uh, the city or anybody so with that in mind, what personality traits do we look for when we hire new officers? What, what is something that if somebody that wants to be a police officer that they really need to have or be able to do to, to really be effective? First and foremost these days is being able to communicate. You have to be able to talk to anybody. Um, we can go to different pockets of the city and deal with all kinds of different people. And you have to be able to relate and be able to start that relationship um, with the whole culture that's here sure. in the city of Fairborn. Um, I've been here since 1988. At that point, it was all, Fairborn was a little different back then. Sure. Um, a lot of bars, a lot of bar fights, that type of thing. So you had to have the officers that could, could deal with those situations. Luckily, we don't have those issues as much anymore. So now we're more of that peace officer um, safety and being able to deconflict the situations and be able to talk to people before you get into those physical confrontations. So let's get into the numbers now. How many police officers do we have? We just swore in our 49th officer um, this past Monday on the 9th. Okay. Where is that historically? Are we, we have we generally been around the 49 number? Um, we've been, uh, I think that's one more than we had in 2020. Um, we've tried to increase uh, this year, unfortunately, but with retirements, um, we haven't been able to do that. Uh, we will be swearing in our um 50th officer um, beginning of September. We will be swearing in another, the 51st officer, sometime in September. Okay. And then we have two more uh, in the pipeline for later on for, for openings that come. So there. you, we've changed the process, right? On how we are actually hiring officers. Can you, can you discuss a little bit of how that shifted over the last year or so? 
We still have the same process um, if we need to give a test, but we've also, right now everybody is recruiting the same small group of individuals that are going through the academies. Um, so we're, we started the process and uh, city manager was, it was great to be able to start this and council to be able to do this, but we're able to go into the academies, identify um, these kids while they're there. Um, we run them through the background. They go through an application process, a background process. They do the pre-employment polygraph. But if they pass all that, we're able to bring them on as police recruits. Mm -hmm. So they stay in the academy and basically we are paying. We don't pay for the academy itself, but we're able to give them a living wage while they're going through the academy. So they're not trying to work a job. We, The kid we just swore in uh, beginning of September was actually a corrections officer working all night and then going to the academy during the day, getting about two or three hours of sleep. So this yeah. let him stop working as a corrections officer. He was able to concentrate on the academy and get through. So it has helped us, it's really helped us in the areas of diversity um, to be able to go in and find those folks, um, sell our program to them. And then they come out, they do a ride along, they come out and meet everybody. And, and we've been very successful lately being able to get the, the folks to go through the program. Awesome. When we look to hire folks, um, I know some folks get into this line of work to really be busy and kind of do the, you know, the, the stuff you see on television, kind of police work. Uh, we don't necessarily have that, uh, but we're active. I mean, when they, it's an active job. So talk about like on a, on a daily, if, if you check in as a police officer, you get your, get in your cruiser, um, you know, what are you doing? Usually right out of the gate, especially during uh, when school's in session, um, they're out either taking calls that come in right away or they try to get out in the school zones to make sure those are safe. But um, we have, just like every other city, domestic violence calls, that kind of thing. You can go from a, a parking enforcement to an aggravated burglary to a, an assault. Sure. All within a 45-minute period. So um, usually once they get in the car, um, one, it's a long day. We work a 12-hour shift. Our officers work a 12-hour shift right now. Um, 7A to 7P, 7P to 7A. That 7A to probably 2 in the morning, it's busy. And right. then they get a little break after that to be able to catch up on paperwork. The guys are working there and ladies are working nights. But um, like I said, you can go to just about everything. Usually 7 to 7 is more um, complaint-driven calls. And then evening is more um, reactive to, to bigger things that are going on. Is it a different city after 11 o'clock probably than it is before? It is. It's amazing how many folks are still out walking around um, <laughs> sure. at 2, 3 in the morning. Um, but yes, it is. It, it, most neighborhoods are quiet, but there are those ones that aren't. Uh, you mentioned the work shift being 12 hours. We kind of have a unique system, so our folks work uh, maybe a few days to get a couple days off. Talk about the hours that they work and then what that shift looks like. Yeah, uh, like I said, they work 7 to 7, 7A, 7P, 7P, 7A. But on the 12-hour shift, they're actually off every other weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that is, that's a benefit for working those long days. Um, but we have also been on that shift since about 2005. Okay. Um, some of the older guys are ready for a break from that. Um, sure. <laughs> so uh, next year, we're actually going back to an eight-hour shift. Um, just to try to give everybody a break. We're going to do it for a year, and then at that point we'll reevaluate that, see if they like that, if they want to stay there, or if they want to go back to 12s, and, and I'm amenable, go back to 12s. So I just I think they need a break for a minute just to see which one they'd like better. Sure. That's great. That's great. So we have not all 49 
officers, you know, are on the street. So we have, you know, other people doing other things. And, and Rob had mentioned, you know, there are first responders and, and really there's an even other group of people who are even before that with this, which is our dispatch. Can you kind of just describe just the, the different types of officers we have and kind of how they all function together within our own departments? And, and this is, uh, let's say everybody is here at work, um, which doesn't happen between vacation, sicknesses, injuries, that type of thing. But if everybody was here, Daywatch would have six officers and a supervisor that are working the street. Um, we also, Monday through Friday um, during the school year, like I said we have an SRO in each school. We have four general assignment detectives that work uh, all different type of cases. We have a rotating detective who is basically an officer um, for a six-month period, comes back to the detective section. That gives them a little bit of taste of how the cases go after they've filed that complaint. It's also good that they can take that information back to the road with them. Um, it really works well for folks that are trying to move up into the OIC, sergeant's positions, that type of thing. We have a domestic violence detective, and then we have two, we will have two detectives out of the ACE task force who do uh, the regional drug complaints. Now we were able to get a grant uh, this year, this COP grant, COP grant, which we were able to add two officers who are the neighborhood enhancement team, the net team who handle neighborhood drugs, but they also um, handle, um, they deal with the apartment managers, um, They'll deal with the, uh, talk to the businesses, see if they're having problems, what issues they're having, get on the neighborhood, and, and they try to solve those problems before they get any bigger. On the dispatch side, um, on any given day, there'll be two dispatchers in there. They do police, fire, and EMS. Um, last year, they handled over almost 14,000 911 calls coming in. Wow. Um, and handled over 110,000 just calls coming in to dispatch anything from major crimes to what day is the 4th of July parade on. So <laughs> right. they get a little bit of everything. Um, and those are just Fairborn, right? I mean, that's, yeah, so our, our dispatch doesn't go to any other communities yeah. in Greene County. It's just strictly Fairborn. Strictly Fairborn. So they are very busy. They're also on a 12-hour shift in there. Um, I give them all the credit in the world because I could not sit there for 12 hours and just handle those type of oh, things. Yeah. And they are actually the first responders because they deal with those folks that are in that immediate trauma right then and trying to calm them down on the phone, plus trying to get officers or fire, the fire department there to take care of the situation. Now, will they switch to eight hours or will they stay on 12? Uh, not at this point. Um, we're still working through some personnel issues right now with the, the amount we have, the eight hours don't work for them. Gotcha. Let's stay on the dispatch and communications folks for a minute because I've sat in that communication center for a shift as well. And, and you know, you think of it as just there being one phone and somebody picks it up and answers questions. There's four large screens with multiple information. Uh, the folks that call in aren't very nice and polite like we're talking about. Typically, they're agitated. They're in distress. I've tried to listen to some of those calls. I can't, it doesn't even sound like English to me. And sometimes mm -hmm. these folks are just, but they're able to discern all that information, make the proper dispatch, meaning get the apparatus on the street that they need uh, and do it in a timely fashion. So it takes a special kind of person to do that. That's not necessarily a question. That's more of a statement, but having been in that room, it is, it can be complete chaos. Uh, but even through that, they're able to 
keep everything going, get people where they need to be, check in on officers that have been on calls, so make sure that they're okay and don't have needs. It's, it's just a phenomenal thing. I, Again, I'm like you, Chief. I don't know that I could do that for an hour, uh, much less a career. Yeah, it definitely takes a, a special person, almost somebody that, that doesn't get overly emotional. Um, they're able to kind of set those emotions aside when they're at work because, like I said, there's not just one line coming in. Each one at each desk probably has five lines that are available to come in, plus 911 calls, plus the officers trying to talk to them over the radio. Right. So they definitely have to be able to multitask and uh, be able to keep their cool and, and direct things as they need to. So we also have a jail. Correct. Uh, talk a little about uh, the function of our jail. I know we've had our jail for a long time. It may not, it's not a new jail. Uh, talk about how we use it and what, what it's used for. Uh, we have a 12-day holding facility, um, it's, and every year the state comes in, certifies us to continue in operation. Um, normally, we don't house prisoners that long or inmates that long. Um, we're basically, the officers will bring them in. Um, pre-arraignment, they'll come in and get processed. They either post bond or they see the judge that next day and then they're released. If they need to stay a little bit longer, they're transferred over to Greene County. Um, we can house 11 uh, inmates at one time. Um, over the weekend, sometimes that gets a little, uh, we'll get up to 11. Sure. Um, but the uh, we have three full-time jailers, six part-time jailers that are able to, the part-timers work on the weekends. Um, but most of the time, um, it's just us coming in, they process. The benefit for the city of Fairborn is an officer can bring that inmate in. If they're intoxicated, they have sleep it off. They can bring him in. They can hit the street and go sure. right back out and start answering calls. Whereas we also house for Beaver Creek, Wright State, Enon, and the Grandview uh, Police Department. So they have to transport over there. It takes that officer off the street for a while before they can get back and start answering in that, in that community. Interesting. And that's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week operation, correct? Correct. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think we probably ran through about 9,000 inmates last year. Um, wow. They're busy also. You mentioned a couple things. You mentioned other departments. So we collaborate quite a bit with other departments. State Highway Patrol, other local communities. Talk about some of those partnerships that we have. Green County folks. is a very unique um, county where everybody um, really gets along well. Um, we're able to depend on each other. We have mutual aid agreements with everybody in the county, but um, all the chiefs, the sheriff, uh, the fire department, and police departments get along well, which doesn't happen in a lot of communities, uh, a lot of counties. Um, but that's a benefit that we definitely have that we're able to, to rely on those partnerships. So as Fairborn being within Bath Township, you know, do we respond to county incidents within Bath Township? Uh, is that correct? That is correct. There, yeah. there will be uh, times when county will only have one deputy on this side of the county and get a call and they'll call us for mutual aid. Um, we'll respond until they get there. Um, sometimes we rely on Wright State and Beaver Creek to come help us out county to come help us out just try to make sure that the officers have adequate adequate help and for officer safety and make sure plus they can get their respond and take care of that issue so you mentioned right state so right state has their own police department correct um but do we cover the nutter center so that's one of our that's, responses yeah, <laughs> yeah. vast majority of right state is in the city of fairborn um 
they do have their own police force at this point. And we used to handle all the felony um, complaints on Wright State. Now they're actually uh, able to take care of their own. But um, we do work at the, the Nutter Center if needed. Um, obviously, the big events, the uh, the traffic on uh, Colonel Glenn and Northfield, Fairfield can uh, get a little backed up. So we're able to help try to alleviate some of that when, when we go through. What's our relationship with the base? Um, don't have a lot of interaction if they need us we're there um obviously they can't come off base to help us um but we collaborate on the marathon other issues like that um they're having a training coming up i mean they let us know obviously a few years ago that was a little bit of an issue um that issue's taking care of itself but um if they have an ovi out on 444 any they have jurisdiction anything that's concurrent to the base so if they make an arrest out on let's say 444 they'll bring them to our jail to do their testing and that type of thing so um the relationship is there just we don't have we don't have a lot of need I guess, to call them or for them to call us. Okay. Yeah. I, just, I know it's different because their fire department can't come off right. and, you know, they do help us a lot with mutual aid. I just didn't know if the, their police yeah, now, the, was the same way. They are not, um, they are not able to come off the base to do law enforcement and mutual aid for us into the city. Gotcha. We also have, uh, two canine officers that we've not talked about. Talk about how our canines are used. Can some of the stuff that they can help with on certain calls? Um, a lot of it is uh, they're available on, on traffic calls. They are very good at uh, uh, drug detection, drug and apprehension. Um, they are also probably one of the best PR tools you, you can ever have. <laughs> Everybody loves a dog, um, so they're able to go out. Kids love them. They're able to go out and be seen. Um, they are cross-trained in uh, drug detection, um, tracking, and also apprehension. Um, right now, we currently have two canines. They're they're both probably within about two years of, of retiring. They're getting a little bit older, and uh, their service life is coming to an end. Um, we'll look to replace them when when that time comes. But um, they're out and available. They work um, four 10-hour days, so there's always a canine on. And then on Wednesdays, they train, so they're both here together. And I'm, uh, you're right about the PR tool. I've been to the Sweet Corn Festival, and you'll see uh, either Nico or Bach out there, mm -hmm. kids playing with them, petting them, not even a thing. But then I've also seen uh, Bach working, and that dog is as serious as a heart attack. Mm -hmm. uh, it's wonderful training that those animals have, and kudos to the handlers, too. It's kind of funny. There was a picture, I believe it was from Yellow Springs National Night Out. Um, Bach and uh, Officer Pence went over for that, and there's a picture of about four kids laying on top of Bach, <laughs> just right. rolling around on top of him, and, and he was loving it. So, right. yeah. And you walk by the vehicle when they're in there, and it is not friendly sounding. They <laughs> just move you away from the vehicle, yes. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how the police department's funded, if you don't mind. What's some of the ways that the, uh, the police department gets funded? Um, we're funded through uh, property taxes, um, some of the dispatches through the 911 wireless fees. Okay. Um, we get federal and state grants. Uh, we get grants for um, bulletproof vests. So we also get uh, um, some uh, grants that we're able to buy equipment through, so that helps us. Um, some of the other things we also have the uh, the public safety levy that obviously the right. citizens just passed a couple of years ago, which has been a tremendous help, and then through general fund monies, um, we do get some uh, funds through the uh, uh, drug analysis. Basically, if the court uh, if, if the drug charge goes to municipal court and we have to have that tested, 
they get restitution back to us for the for the cost of the tests. Um, some little we prisoner we do charge the outside agencies, um, Beaver Creek and those if we process and house our prisoners. So there are some monies that come in from that also. I mean, let's talk about one partnership we've not mentioned yet. So when we have specific needs for say SWAT teams, we're part of a regional group. Explain that and kind of what that group does and how we're involved. Yeah, um, we are uh, part of the regional emergency response team. It's called uh, basically the RERT, and it's uh, Beaver Creek and us and uh, uh, Huber Heights. The third used to be Vandalia was in it. They chose to opt out a couple years ago. So those three uh, main cities are there. Anytime that there's a need for a tactical team in either of those three cities, we'll respond. We also do do some mutual aid if we have to go out in the county, either one. Um, sometimes our SWAT team will end up covering for Dayton if they're going um, for some sort of training or something like that. And then a, a component of that is not just a tactical. We also have the hostage negotiators. So everybody has, I believe, three individuals, three or four individuals from each city that, that function as hostage negotiators also. And uh, uh, that's been very valuable, just being able to get those folks there on scenes to to try to um, deconflict that and then be able to, you know, time, time is sure on your side. You can slow things down. If you can establish that communication and, and get a successful and, and safe ending, that's the best way. And the benefit of that partnership is really cost sharing, right? Like right. for us to have our own SWAT team essentially would be additional staff, additional apparatus. We're able to do this at a fraction of that cost with our partners. Correct. How is that staff? So I know, and I know it changes from time to time. We use our current staff members to staff the RERT, uh, but there is a commander, or there's a person in charge. How do they, how's that determined? Who, how's that go? Um, each jurisdiction has seven, uh, if you want to talk on tactical tactical side, seven operators um, that will go there, all, and seven from ours, seven from Huber, and seven from Beaver Creek. Um, the commander's job is kind to, uh, is, is rotated around between those uh, the major cities. Um, right now, uh, it's Huber has the commander's job, um, but that is one of their sergeants um, that basically is able to come off the street and function in that capacity. And that's been very successful. We've had issues where we've needed to call RERT, and they've really had a quick and and a good ending to what could have been a disaster. Not to date myself as how old I am, but I was one of the original members back in 1991 when we started it with the with the four cities. Right, just a few right. years ago. Yes, a couple that, of days. That's been a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about our community programs. You mentioned Dare. Talk about our Dare program and what uh, Officers Inc. does in the schools. Uh, it's with the fifth grade. Um, he's able to go in there and he basically teaches um, drug awareness, um, bullying. Um, we're, we're, that's a big part of his uh, sure. teaching now also. Um, so he's there for the entire school year with the fifth grade. Um, they also do a dare camp in the summer that he attends. Um, we've started doing the police and youth together um, camps. Uh, the last three years, it's with the partnership with Dayton and other surrounding jurisdictions go. Um, kids will go there for the week, and it's just basically to get them comfortable with being around police officers, knowing their role, the police officer's role, and, you know, seeing them more as a, a human than sure. somebody just with a badge standing there. Um, what other programs do we have that we offer the community? Uh, the big one uh, we're doing now is, is RADS, and I hope I get this acronym correct. It's uh, Rape Aggression Defense System. Uh, it basically teaches self-defense uh, for women. Um, 
that's been very successful. We've done it for the last two years. Um, when we're able to offer that, it fills up very quickly. Um, it's taught by our SROs in the summertime or in the evenings during the, the school year. And uh, it's been it, it's been one of our most popular classes and, and things that we're able to offer. Great. Um, you're just taking signups and getting ready to start your Citizens Police Academy, which had to take a pause due to COVID, but is now back on track. Talk about what that program is about. That's a really well attended and people love going through that program. Probably one of the most important programs we have for folks to be able to see exactly um, what their tax money does. Um, we're currently in the application process. It probably, I believe it will cut off in about three weeks or if we get to 20 people to go through. That'll start in September. It's one day a week uh, for about three hours, and uh, we'll be done before Thanksgiving. But basically, it goes through, and, and first day, you get the admin, and then every other week after that, you get some sort of, uh, whether it's dispatch, patrol, SWAT, training They actually get to uh, go down the range, shoot. They'll get to do ride-alongs. Um, we have a uh, simulator system we're going to use this year also to be able to go through some shoot, don't shoot scenarios, that type of thing. So it lets everybody know, one, what the officers are doing, gives them an inside look at the department, um, which I think is, is really important. I think you gain an appreciation for all that police officers go through every day by going through a program like that. I think it's you don't really understand. It seems simple. They just get in the car and drive around. To go through a program like that right it also leads into uh, if you go through the police academy we also have a police advisory um, council um, we like for the folks that were on there or want to be on there to have gone through the academy so they have that background um, right now we have 13 people that are on the advisory council um, basically what i do with them is we go through um, take any policy updates anything like that they get to meet the officers um, they get input on what we are doing on a day-to-day basis, and they also give us what they're seeing in the community and what issues they think we need to be addressing. I know one of the things that I found most valuable is I think the first year I started working here, you guys were, they were doing their annual um, shooting training, or I'm sure it's got a more technical name, but uh, it, you know, they, they ended up putting me through the scenario at the end of it. Um, and to get an appreciation for the level of anxiety <laughs> that, that they go through, you know, and, and our, our targets were pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of it, I, I mean, my heart was racing. And, and to know that even after that simulation, um, it increased my levels of, of heart rate and anxiety, you know, and they were just paper and not people um, who were wanting to harm me. Uh, it definitely gave me an, a better appreciation for everything that happens. Um, but I think people, when they go through the Citizens Police Academy, not only will they gain a, a better understanding, but they'll see a different perspective and different side to the police officers that we have in the department that that is a part of our community. So, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic program and um, you guys do a great job with it. I appreciate it. And it's important that it, people do need to realize it's not just some person in a uniform and a badge. These are the people you went to kindergarten with. These are the people that you went to high school with. They're your neighbor. They have kids. They have parents. They have brothers and sisters. They're human. They have human emotions. They have human reactions to things. So it's really important that people see them as, as people instead of just just the badge and the heavy hand supposedly yes 
Let's talk a minute about the training that our officers go through because really the first responders, both police and fire, it's training heavy. I mean, there's constant training you guys go through. What are some of the main things that you try to reinforce every year with your officers in terms of training? The state mandates uh, some training every year, uh, which is usually firearm qualification, those type of things. Deconfliction um, is something they're mandating now. Um, any kind of crisis intervention. A big thing now is officer wellness also. Sure. Um, we have to get through that, and I'm sure it's the same for the fire department um, to get those kind of trainings. But then we also try to do as much training as we can. Obviously, 2020 was a total different year. You couldn't do any outside training whatsoever. So we started taking more advantage of uh, online training. Um, yeah. We actually... Uh, uh, have started the process where we now do a lot of on-site or online training, um, which is great, but you really need some of those classes. You need to be there and have that human interaction sure. back and forth. But um, the big thing right now is, is like I said, the, the deconfliction, if we can get folks through that every year, cultural diversity, bias-based policing, all those trainings we try to do some sort of a, on a yearly basis. So talk about that a minute. That's kind of a popular thing to talk about now with police departments, but We've been doing for years what has now been kind of shown, shown a light on the other departments need to be doing, which is the deconfliction, de-escalation training and the, uh, the non-bias policing. Um, you know, talk about why those are important, because in, you know, Fairborn, we're a diverse community, right? So you got to be able to, as you mentioned, talk to anybody. Right. And well, it comes from, you know, the hiring. Uh, you, you may hire a kid that from some area that it's, doesn't have a relationship with a certain diverse group, that type of thing. So to be able to get those folks to come in and, and learn about everybody, learn different customs, learn triggers that, that, that set people off that sure. you may not know about. Um, that's important that, that they be it. You have to relate to your community, and sure. we're trying to make the our the force match the community as far as diversity levels and that type of thing. So, we're moving forward. And we're an international community, really, with Wright State University, with Wright Patterson Air Force Base. I mean, you're right. We really need to be able to respond to almost anything um, effectively, right? I mean, we go from a population of thirty-three thousand to any given day, probably over a hundred thousand, with people coming into the base and and in right state so you get everything from colonels professors you know down to common average working person so. right um other trainings that we go through um you you mentioned the the primary ones but we're we're training every year for any number of things right the, the thing about a police officer you don't know what you're walking up on right when you get there right so how important is that training and having the time to do it and, and give the guys and the ladies what they need. Unfortunately, you need to, to train for the, the worst experiences you're ever going to have. So we're, we're just did active shooter training. Um, we're getting ready to, we're having driver training cause you do have to drive fast. You have to be able to be sure. safe while you're doing that, doing that. So, um, the more you face those kind of things in a training situation to get your blood going, to get the adrenaline running, it slows things down when they actually happen. Hopefully they never happen. I never sure. want them to happen here while my tenure's here or anybody else's, but 
that possibility is there. It happens in small towns, happens in big towns. So the officers have to be ready to, to deal with those situations. We train them on felony stops. I mean, just in Chicago a week ago, two officers were shot just on a traffic stop. So it can happen. Um, so we try to teach them the safest way to do it and get them used to do it. And then also throw some curveballs at them during those scenarios. So they have to think on their feet and be able to react in, a, in the proper manner. Let's talk for a minute about the technology that's involved with policing now. So um, we have cruisers in the cars. Uh, we have uh, computers in the cars. Sorry. <laughs> Let's start that over. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the technology that goes into this. We have cameras in our cruisers uh, that record through the dashboard. We have uh, currently the microphones that our officers wear. We're implementing body cameras. Uh, talk about the technology that's involved with that and how it helps our officers uh, in in situations that they may not think would be needed. Yeah, the, not only do we have uh, cameras that face out the front of the cruisers, we also have them in the, the rear um, containment area in the back seat, which you're able to see if somebody's trying to hide something, something like that. And you know, the biggest thing is folks will make complaints, that type of thing, and you're able to go back to the video and say, no, that didn't happen. Um, body cameras obviously are a big thing trying to come out now. Um, I never thought I'd, I'd work in a job where I had to be videotaped the entire right. time I was doing it, and, and it's a shame that we do have to do that, but unfortunately, that's the society we're in right now, and if you don't have that and something does happen, that's not going to be good. So sure. our officers were actually ready for it and, and wanting to, to do it. It was just a matter of trying to the right time and the funding to do it, sure. um, but those should be up and running by the end of the year. Um, and the officers will wear them anytime they're out, anytime they're taking complaint, um, and it protects the citizens and, and the officers both. That's the key point. I mean, we're not doing that to make it more difficult on our residents. We're doing that to protect our officers right. uh, because, as you said, you know, you've seen body camera footage of some really wild scenarios that you never would think happen, and it's really helped to protect the, the police officer. And what you see is sometimes when people know they're being videotaped, it never really gets to that point where it's a confrontation because everybody sure. knows that, hey, this is on video, so we'll just try to make this work the best we can. Uh, our officers are covered by a bargaining unit there in the Fraternal Order of Police. Talk about our relationship with the FOP, um, how it's been. It's you know We've had a wonderful relationship with them. I think we negotiate very easily uh, and well with them. Talk about that. and. Kind of what that does for our guys. Don't jinx us because we got right, some coming right. up pretty soon. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right now we have uh, three separate bargaining units within the FOP. The sergeants have a bargaining unit, the officers have a bargaining unit, and the dispatchers have a bargaining unit. Um, in the past, um, in my tenure here, um, there's always been a good working relationship between the union and the city. Obviously, you're going to have disagreements. Um and usually involve some around pay and you're going to yeah. have to work through those issues. Um, but in my tenure here, it hasn't been contentious. We've never really um, had that adversarial um, type relationship. We always try to work through it. And I think they have a good understanding that, you know, it's, it's taxpayers money that that's involved. You got to be able to justify what you're asking for sure. and uh, been able to work through things. I mean, there, there's always going to be some issues that you want to come up, but um, you try to work through those, even if it's outside, if it's not something that's in the bargaining agreement, you try to take care of those issues and, and by policy or something like that. Can you explain a little bit? I know you're the chief and you're not 
in the FOP. Is that correct? I'm not. Okay. I was but, anymore. Yeah. yeah, but you were. Yeah. But you were. And can you kind of you know explain? the relationship the FOP has with the community. It's not, their sole purpose is not necessarily to get as much money out of the city as they can. No. You know, the FOP does a lot of good charitable stuff within the community. Can you just highlight a couple of the things uh, over the years that they have done to kind of give back to the city of Fairborn? Um, December's a, a big year. Um, we now we're now we have beards, so I haven't quite figured out what the fundraiser is going to be yet. But, um, maybe, maybe if I can talk to Rob, but maybe if, grow them as long as you possibly there can you for two months, we'll see. But um, in the past, we've done no shave November, and the officers will be able to uh, contribute the, the males uh, $25 to be able, and the females are either paint their hair pink or wear whatever they want to wear. So it's been a fundraiser, and I think. The year before last, we were over $4,000, I believe. Um, the SROs are able to identify families um, through the schools that may need help. The FOP has gone out and bought um, all the presents. Um, they've established relationships with some of the uh, grocery stores and be able to buy food for Thanksgiving, food for Christmas, that type of thing, and be able to help. And then they also have a fund that if they do run across some folks that you know need help, maybe need a hotel for a night, that type of thing, or... or on a rough time for a night, they're able to put them up in a hotel, get them something to eat, and just make sure they're safe for the night before the other resources kick in. Kick in. Yeah, you know, I, I know that depending on you know who the individual is, obviously I'm a little biased uh, <laughs> in my world, but um, you know there are good qualities to having a union, and one of those good qualities is what what that group of people can do for the community. Um, they're a nonprofit organization at that point, and they can, you know raise money they can go out and help and um, and not only are they representing the FOP but they're also at that point still representing the city and this community and who they work for um, so kind of it's a good it's a good balance at that point now I mean like I said they are officers firemen in the community um, but the union does help them protect themselves and their benefits sure. at, in that arena sure but they're still the officers that are out there and the firemen that are out there uh, in the community every day yeah. They're still people, as you said before. Right. I mean, they're not just a badge. They're people, and they have emotions and passions and all that. Correct. Talk a little bit about, we'll, we'll let you kind of brag on yourself a little bit. Talk about the admin, uh, because we've got, there's, a, there's an administrative role, too. Talk about what you do and, and your administrative structure. You've got some folks working with you to help put together various aspects of the police department. I put out fires every day. That's what right. I do. Um, <laughs> so you want to be a fireman? Fire. <laughs> See, it always happens that way. That, that'll work. Um, <laughs> I used to get in there first. <laughs> um, I have three captains that work with me. Um, all have a lot of experience. Um, great to work with. Great with the personnel that we have. I have one that's over operations who handles patrol and then he also has the record section. Um, each one of these captains also has an administrative sergeant that's under them that helps them with that too. So you have operations, you have the sports services, which is uh, the detective section and also the dispatch. And then you have the administrative captain who handles the jail and the uh, grants and research and that type of thing so um they stay very busy my main focus is the budget um trying to stay on top of that make sure we're not spending money where we don't need to spend money that type of thing yeah. um 
and then personnel issues, hiring, and that kind of thing is, is what I deal with mostly on a day-to-day basis. And your captains rotate through those positions, right? So they all get a well-rounded experience? They do. Um, obviously, 2020 kind of – and sure. for those that don't know, I took over in March of 2020, and four <laughs> days later, the, the pandemic hit. So, yes. <laughs> so it was kind of the baptism by fire right. on things I had no idea we were going to be doing. So um, we – but the officers were able to adapt to it. Um, yeah. We really didn't miss a beat. We were able to move folks out. They handled – the different policies and that kind of thing fantastically and we were able to come back together and now everybody's back in the building again but um that had worked out really well and i kind of forgot where we were going with that that's okay like, <laughs> talking about your sorry your captains and yeah and just their training and you know the one of the things that we're trying to build towards is some succession planning obviously right. uh, to try to get some folks in the organization so that when there are vacancies and we are facing a lot of retirements, as you mentioned. We've had a lot of long-tenured folks here that have spent an incredible amount of time with the city of Fairborn. Uh, so trying to replace those positions when they retire is going to be a challenge. Yeah, I'm uh, finishing up 33 years next month. Um, all the captains, except for uh, Captain Roman, are over 25 years. We have a lot of sergeants that are approaching that 25-year, and we also have some officers that are approaching that. So it's important for me in the, in the time that I have left to be able to run the captains through the different uh, positions, be able to teach them the budget, teach them everything they need to know. Plus, the admin sergeants are learning, and we're going to rotate them also. So they're learning the different positions. Um we had, I think we've had three retirements this year. We're looking at four next year and probably four the following year. Um, so we're losing a lot of experience. And as we get the numbers up of where they're supposed to be, we continue to lose and then trying to, right. and you can only train so many people at one time. So right. it's trying to get that balance of get those folks out. Maybe you run a little bit short till you can get some folks back out on the street. Then you do the hiring and run them through the to the training program. You plug a leak here and it starts to leak somewhere <laughs> else. Right? Like, you know, running out of fingers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so recruiting then is key. You mentioned the recruit program, which has been great. I give you credit for thinking outside the box there and coming up with a way to ensure that we at least have candidates, which had, there was a time where we couldn't even get that. Uh, just the for whatever reason, it was tough to get folks to even want to be a police officer. We, when I first came on and then test up until about 10 years ago, anytime we would have an opening and give it a test, we were 80 to 100 people that would apply. Um, lately, we've been, uh, we'll take, if you're certified or currently attending academy, um, you can get on our list and we're running probably 18 people apply. And if it was just us, I would think that's a problem. But when I talk sure. to the surrounding jurisdictions, they're going through the same thing. Um, and then obviously you got to get folks through the background um, checks and you got to get them through the pre-employment polygraphs. And then once they get through those, you can offer them a conditional uh, employment. But then they also have to do a post-poly, they have to do a psychological, and they have to do a medical. So there's a lot of hoops they have to jump through, but you also have to make sure you're getting the folks that are they're capable of doing the job and, and can continue on and have a successful career. And you have to be a certain age to be a sworn officer in Ohio, right? So it's not like we can get... Yes. Somebody that's right out of high school to come and do this. You have to be 21, and uh, you can't be over 35 for your first appointment. Um, we have a, a kid right now that's been through the academy. He's just 20. He won't turn 21, so I'm probably going to be recruiting at junior highs before it's all over with. But um, he will be he turned 21 on September the 2nd. He'll be sworn in that day. Interesting. Wow. 
Anything we forgot, Chief? Anything you want to talk about, Megan? Anything that we want to hit? Is we've covered a lot of ground. We have covered a lot of time. No, I think good. I okay. just appreciate the opportunity to come and talk. And if you're interested in being a police officer, interested in doing a ride along, we do those things. Contact our police department uh, and get some information. It's you know we're we're willing to share what we do, uh, and it's I suggest a ride along. It's a uh, really a lot of fun, but. I would really suggest you do the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yes. You don't have to ride the whole 12. Um, you can come in and ride till midnight, one or two. Um, that's it. Ride all, all 12 and give it along. But um, come in and do that. I encourage people that if you really want to know what goes on, Citizens Police Academy, either this year if it fills up, there's always next year. Um, go through that and just see what your police department does. Excellent. Well, thanks, Chief. Appreciate you being here. So for Chief Bennington, Megan and I, We'll see you around town. Thank you.